0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Genetti. It is Monday, July 3rd. A couple of things on the docket today an NBA recap, because everything's over, it's done. Everybody got signed and traded, and then everything's, you know, the dust is settling so we can recap everything. Not so much. Phase one is complete, <laughs> all right? Nothing's even official until July 6th. So everybody's jumping the gun, ourselves included. And that's perfectly fine because if you don't start now trying to keep up, you will be lost in the weeds. There's plenty to talk about. I've got a couple of extensions to talk about and there's corresponding teams in terms of tax base and things like that. A couple of restricted free agents that didn't get there. Uh, and a couple of teams that I think might not be done. Maybe some uh, some new scenarios that have popped up, certainly with Damian Lillard's request and uh, some teams that have tax base need to fill some roster spots and maybe active, maybe not, you know, immediately here, but after all the dust actually does settle. Could there be a couple of teams that do like a midsummer pounce and uh, bring us right back into off season mode. And then a quick switch to the NFL, just some off season notes. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals are remain fascinating because of the contracts that haven't been signed. And because of some of the contracts that they do have that could actually still fall by the wayside in the middle of July with the regular season, you know, less than a hundred days away here. So uh, a fascinating situation of sort of yin and yang with, with money and the Cincinnati Bengals and a couple of other scenarios that I'm reading the room with that uh, I just want to make sure we understand in term, including the July 15th deadline for the franchise tag players to sign a multi-year extension. Will they, won't they? We talk about that at the back end of this as well. Enjoy the NBA phase one recap next. All right, let's begin this NBA recap ish with quick overview uh, again nothing official till July 6th so a lot of agreements you're going to see a lot of agree signings on spot track instead of actual signings most of these are going to come to fruition the fun part for keith smith scott allen and any other salary cap nerds out there that follow the nba is that a lot of this stuff could get mashed together some of the reports we heard a week ago could be delayed and compounded with another trade. Um, This signing has to happen first for this trade to be processed because with cap space and tax space and hard cap situations and all the exception rules, teams have to be extremely diligent about the timing and order that a lot of this stuff happens. Um, The team that seems to have it figured out is one I'm gonna start with first. But uh, before I get there, again, we're at about $1.9 billion of agreed-to free agent contracts. That does not include any of the extensions you've heard about, right? LaMelo Ball, Desmond Bain, etc. That's just pound for pound. Player was going to be an unrestricted free agent and decided to turn it around and uh, get paid. Seven of those contracts are north of $100 million in total value. 11 of those contracts account for at least $20 million per year for that player. That's solid. That's pretty solid for what was considered a weak class. The uh you know, and that didn't include James Harden who ended up opting in and TBD on that whole situation. So that the best available free agent essentially from most boards never got there and we still got 700 million dollar contracts and I'm not sure we're done. So I think it was, as usual, an overly successful pre-free agency. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> we're going to lose too much momentum over the next couple of weeks now with this Damian Lillard news. And that might just be domino one because uh, let's say the Heat don't win that battle. Well, the Heat have to do something. So some of the teams I'm going to address now, half of them may be Satisfied, content, you know, nickel and diamond, a couple of minimum contracts, and then they're done until October. There's a few here that they're kind of leaving behind some breadcrumbs that they may not be done and at least could be in consideration for a plan B situation out of Toronto, out of Portland, with the Knicks, just to name a couple of teams. Let's start with the Lakers because we got to pay the bills, but also. I think Rob Pelinka has this thing figured out right now. Um, the Anthony Davis transaction seems like forever ago was one of the more complicated Lakers off seasons we've seen in terms of having to move so many parts around, time everything properly so that the exception could be used, so that Davis's salary could be brought in, and they'd stay cap compliant, tax compliant, et cetera. It seems like since that day, the Lakers have really figured out how to manipulate this thing properly because for all intents, they're done. It's July 3rd. You know, we're 72 hours from being officially, officially, official. And there's a lot of people, myself included, that look at this roster and probably think, damn, this is not only an improved roster. This could be it for at least October through January. And then, you know, based on production performance, some changes could be forthcoming at that point. But it sure looks like everybody has bought in. Everybody wants to run it back. And it was simply about getting some more horses in the barn from a depth perspective. And they did that. Right? They did that. So they, they bring in Gabe Vincent from Miami. They were able to use an exception for his 2023 salary. Obviously, because there's no cap space on this team. And they were able to use the other exception to wiggle away to Terry and Prince who was waived out of his Minnesota contract for reasons we still haven't figured out yet. Certainly a team in flux, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So that's two experience pieces. Gabe Vincent, one of the higher you know, profile players coming out of these finals. And he's going to be a death player for this, this Lakers team. You know, he's kind of going to be the yin and the yang to the Russell and the Reeves and those kind of players. It's really nice. There's 13 roster players in this Lakers team right now. They're still living with about 5.2 million of tax base. So there's a minimum contract there, maybe even a a slightly above with some incentives. I think they're solid though. You know, they're going to carry a full 15 camp roster. There's no question about that. But bringing back Austin Reeves, which is the notable conversation to have here on his maximum four-year 56.25 extension, it says more than just money here, right? Because we've said it you know, three, four times on this on this show, there was almost double that sitting out there for Reeves in restricted free agency. If an offer sheet was available to him and most believe at least one was going to be available. So he left about 40 million on the table, theoretically, hypothetically. And this is simply about, I, I'm comfortable here, right? <laughs> I'm fine making $50 million, in LA, on this roster, because I'm thriving here, that has to be the, the the majority genesis of why this happened. You know, on July 2nd versus at least waiting to see what happens from a restricted free agency standpoint. Cam Johnson did the same thing in Brooklyn. Now he got his 108 max because of his service time. Austin Reeves was a year behind because he was an undrafted free agent, so he was behind the eight ball a little bit, which. Led most of us to believe that he was going to max out this entire situation, hit restricted free agency, get the offer sheet, put the pressure on the Lakers. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. Now there's a player option in year four, so he's got a little bit of flexibility there. There's a trade kicker, which is really nice because post LeBron, post AD, moving off of his $15 million in year four could be good for the Lakers and also now financially good for Austin Reeves with that 15% kicker. Um, but this is more about what it says from a team standpoint than it does from a financial standpoint. This is about a player opting not to go through what could be a very, very lucrative, restrictive free agency in order to remain with this roster. So it's about twelve and a half million this year. It, it jumps to about fifteen and a half million in that player option for year four. It's a very reasonable what could be of mega value, right? For the Lakers, if Reeves continues to take steps forward on this roster, you know, LeBron and, and AD are essentially on one or two year deals here, give or take. And with the injury history, AD's extension is going to be really, really, really tough to to swallow here if that becomes a, a talking point. So outside of, you know, like I said, a player option that could be traded, the Reeves is sort of aligned now as the big three. That's That's where we are. And there's role players behind him to sort of platoon and supplement him in Rui Hachamara, who comes back, D'Angelo Russell, who comes back. Uh, just a lot to go with here. Russell gets a nice two-year $37 million extension to stick, to stay in, in LA, probably an overpay bit, a, a little bit. That's what you have to do. You got to throw a couple extra million out there to keep these guys off the open market. That's why the moratorium period that Keith mentioned last week, which we're still in for another 72 hours, is so important. It allows teams with, that have bird rights the time to manipulate and maneuver and negotiate and understand. And and by the way, we all know that agents are out there talking to other teams. And by the way, and the NBA wants that to happen. They want them to understand what the actual market's going to be for this player on July 6th so that they can come back to the Lakers, their current team and say, here's where we stand, you know, whether it's real or not, you got to get to this price to keep us here. More times than not in the NBA, players are staying. There, you know, there's not a lot of change, and that's that's probably a good thing for the league. Now, change comes via trade, right? And that's a good thing for the league too. So, like I said, the free agent market itself for the past couple of seasons hasn't been super high profile. It's been more about like this roster construction, timing, seeing who wants to stick around with their current team versus seeing who is ready to jump ship immediately. It's always a really good tell that your team you're leaving a team that is kind of in disarray. And there's a couple out there right now. To me, what the Lakers have gone through over the past week is a huge vote of confidence for the stability, the right, the coach, the process, and this roster. So, um, you know, all of those people saying that the Lakers don't belong in top five odds right now—certainly, you know, top two or three Western Conference odds—I would push back because this team is operating from a business standpoint as if they are extremely confident, and they should be. You know, last year wasn't fluky. They should be. So I, I give them all the credit. It's not just the talking Lakers because the Lakers are a popular team. They deserve it. They've done exactly what they had to do here over the past couple of days. And the money makes sense. And like I said, the Austin Reeves contract could be immediate value by year two, immediate, especially if LeBron is healthy, sticks around and, uh, 80 does his thing. Let's talk Milwaukee. Um, I was a little surprised that both Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez returned to this roster. Now, there's a lot of meat and potatoes on this thing and a lot of fluff on the back end, right? Giannis, Holiday, Middleton, and Lopez are upwards of $140 million in salary this year, all right? Those four players. So you're playing with fire. By the way, the salary cap is not $140 million. Okay. It's 136 and change. So, not even your starting five, and you've blown past the salary cap threshold. And this team is in tax trouble. Okay. This team is over the lo- the first tax and approaching that super tax apron. They're about, sp- about seven ish away from that second apron. And the reason I bring it up is they've got eight rostered players right now. There's a Jay Crowder sign kind of lingering out there that doesn't have a salary to it yet. He would be a ninth. That's not going to be a massive salary. It's not going to be a minimum, most likely. So there's between four to six roster spots to fill here. All right. This is very likely a second apron team now because Middleton's back on a three for 102. It's really a two plus one option. And Brooke Lopez... And I'm a fan, but I mean, what he's done to resurrect his career and convert himself into a player that operates in the modern era with his size is phenomenal. And the longevity is phenomenal, but I don't think a lot of people had two for 48 on Brooke Lopez's resume this year. All right. That's a, you know, that's a $24 million average salary and tax salary that that is hard to swallow for this team right now. It's about 23 and change on this year's salary, this year's tax table. So you're talking about $54 million in Middleton and Brooke Lopez entering the fold this year as a new salary. So they know what they're getting into. They believe they have to go all in right now, probably for a two-year plan. The repeater tax on, the, on a second apron, though, is going to be Bonkersville. So uh, get ready for Golden State-type dollars flying out of Milwaukee in terms of tax bills and things like that, unless something changes unless something drastically changes. I don't think it can, because it's not like they're deep enough to be able to move on from a holiday. Um, and they seem locked into this Middleton, Middleton contract for two years now. So there's a world where they are one of the high in tax paying teams, highest tax-paying teams in all of the NBA. And like I said, the depth might be a problem. So I look at this roster and I think Denver two years ago, Whereas Denver figured out how to get deeper, how to add platoon players, a couple of draft picks that just hit for them. Maybe there's a world where that happens for Milwaukee over the next 18 months. But I look at them and think thin right now, very top heavy, extremely talented and top heavy, but thin. And by the way, Middleton's injury history scares me. And Brooke Lopez is 35 going on 36 for the season. That scares me. So I still love everything that I see on the court with this team, but I'm not sure it's going to be able to withstand an 82 plus, you know, two months of post without help. And uh, this might be a team that has to refactor itself at the trade deadline. Like we've seen so many contenders do at times. The Memphis Grizzlies offered Desmond Bame the maximum contract. It's being reported as about 205 million on spot track. That's um, that's with a mild cap increase next year. Again, this kicks in next year, not this year. Uh, we expect the salary cap to really approach the 150 mark next year, which will make this more in the 215, five-year 215 extension. That qual- that's for Desmond Bain, that's for Sabonis, that's for LaMelo Ball. Most, I think all of those players have the Supermax language built into it. So with an all NBA berth this thing could go to $260 million. You know, for LaMelo, that makes a lot of sense. For Desmond Bain, look, Keith Smith has been saying it out loud for months now that this guy was going to have to max. He was just one of those players that was kind of in the fringe. And whenever you're talking close enough, most teams just do it because they don't want to deal with the backlash of not having a player under contract and then losing rights, losing control, and letting the player walk for nothing. And that's what Memphis had themselves in right now. And with John Morant's instability in terms of court play with knowing that Dylan Brooks was probably not long for this roster after what happened right two months ago we forget and they did ship him to Houston for some some tax and cap space this was a no-brainer there just weren't enough contracts in the room to justify not giving him a max contract so starts off at about 205 over the next six you know five years here he's still finishing out rookie contract this year But it could jump up if he has a uh, an All NBA or All Defensive Player type year. Super certainly possible, especially with uh, with Morant missing time and and Bain having to cover for a lot of that with Marcus Smart sitting next to him in the backcourt. Memphis is one of those teams I referenced earlier, though. Okay, there's 15 players currently rostered. You know, Uh, they added Derrick Rose, they had brought in Marcus Smart earlier on, as I mentioned but they're bringing back the majority of this team. And it's a young team and it's a cheap team and it's a rookie scale team pretty much up and down the board here with the exception of Morant, Marcus Smart, Luke Kennard, and Jaron Jackson Jr. There's, a, there's about 20 million, 21 million of tax base, first apron tax base to work with right now. Despite the fact that this is a 15 man roster right now. They've not used an exception. There's a non-taxpayer $12.4 million exception sitting out there. There's a $4.5 million biannual sitting out there. They're about 35 and change from the super tax. So they are maybe overly young, overly cheap right now for a team that, what, was the second seed for much of last season. Are they purposefully dialing things back a little bit? Because of Moran's suspension, are they content? And this is just who they are. They're going to be a middle of the road team in terms of finances, but they're going to you know outperform it on the court. I guess that's the best case scenario. Or are they saving a bullet? Are they saving room? Are they saving exceptions because they wanna be plan B for somebody out there? You know, Toronto might get frisky and want to move on some pieces. Miami might not get Dame Lillard, okay? Brooklyn's got a lot of wings to move off of still. I just wonder if this is one of those teams that mid-July starts looking around the room and saying, okay, now that everybody's done and the dust has settled a little bit, what can we do? Who can we poach? Who didn't do what they needed to do? Who didn't accomplish what they were supposed to accomplish from a team standpoint? Let's go poach and pick and, and, and find a player we can get on the phone about. I believe Memphis could be sitting there ready to strike. And I think they need to, personally. Uh, there's a lot of kids in this roster that could grow into roles. But why wait? Why wait? You're only going to get more expensive next year when that Bain contract kicks in. You know, and that's when the tax stuff really starts to get you know, amplified. I would use this year as a shot in the dark year. And if you got to give up a couple of more picks to, uh, to poach somebody off of Toronto or one of those teams that might be sliding backwards a little bit, maybe even a Portland who after Dame might have other pieces to move off of. That's where I'd be looking. That's where I'd be looking. So that's a team I'm, I've identified as did the job, did the job they had to do this off season and might not be done. Could be a fun team come mid July, late July And a lot of other operations are sort of shutting down for the summer. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk Miami real quick. Because obviously they're the Dame Lillard favorite. And you're hearing all sorts of names, right? You're hearing Kyle Lowry's expiring. You're hearing Tyler Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. There's a a bunch of iterations from a mathematical standpoint that this could happen with. I, I would assume a couple of things. I would assume that Miami is attempting like crazy to get a third team involved. So that more picks can be brought in, because Miami simply doesn't have the juice. And that and so that they aren't moving on from too many of these pieces. You don't want to bring Dame Lillard and have a have a basically bare cupboard around him outside of Adibayo and Butler. All right. Yeah, you, you want to have as much depth as possible. And Caleb Martin is going to be him, you know, but I think that's a part-time situation. So can you keep a Tyler Hero? Just move on from Lowry's expiring and bring in a third team to take on maybe Robinson's contract, offer in a, a bigger pool of picks, and give Portland really what they want, which is, you know, outside of an expiring contract, which is fine to them for one year. I don't think they want to bring in a bunch of multi years, right? I don't think Duncan Robinson's multi year contract is attractive even a little bit to Portland. But is there a team out there that will take that for them? I think there is so this may take a little longer than we want it to take um because i believe that everybody involved wants to include as many parties as possible and make this a big fat blockbuster juicy deal that portland gets what they want doesn't have to take on fluff and uh and that miami ends up with a semblance of a contending roster with dame lillard involved right Too many times you see superstars get traded and you look around the room and it's two guys and not a lot, right? And that's what AD and LeBron was, was initially speaking until they you know basically put it on the front office to say, "All right, now now it's your job. Go fill in seven or eight roster spots with the actual players for us." They did. They won in 2020. They're back in contention again this year. So you don't want Miami to take a step back with a Dame lowered trade. And that's part of the process here. So all the names are relevant because mathematically they work, but A, Portland doesn't want Duncan Robinson's contract, so they're looking for a team that will take that. Kyle Lowry's expiring is fine, but that involves picks, and Miami simply doesn't have enough ammo, in my opinion, to do that alone and get Dame Lillard on the door. So who else is going to be playing ball with this team? That's the fascinating part of the NBA. We've seen four-team trades pretty much every offseason for the past five years. There's a really good chance that Damian Lillard's trade involves four teams, and I'm all for it. I've got the popcorn ready for it. But other than that, Miami's been quiet, right? They let Struce walk. They let Gabe Vincent walk. They're they're at least ready for somebody to come in and fill up that production. And if they don't get Dame Lillard, right? If he ends up in Brooklyn or God bless it, the, next, the Knicks, Miami doesn't really have a plan B, <laughs> right? It's starting to sound like Tyler Hero's relationship there is somewhat fractured. So that's not great. But plan B is simply going to be Butler, Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson next year. You know, outside of the fact that they can spin Robinson for something. All right. Yes, they moved off the Oladipo's contract as part of the Dylan Brooks trade. There's a lot more meat to be done here. Um, And I think the worst case scenario is this team simply just runs it back. Do they need Dame Lillard? No. But I, I do think there needs to be a little bit of variance from last year's roster. So, and by the way, the fan base is clamoring for it all i keep reading so if it's not Dame, if it's not dame i sure hope there's another name out there because as you know you know and as the free agent and extension tracker can show you on spot track things move pretty damn quickly in the NBA. right there's a lot a lot of players already off the board from in terms of an agreement standpoint and uh, i sure hope miami has a plan b if they lose out on this situation but it's going to be a drawn out process um and there's just a lot to that. One last thing here, and then I'll switch to the NFL and uh, get out of here for the holiday weekend here. Uh, Keith, Keith Smith has said this a lot. He said this to me again this morning as we sort of debriefed from the crazy weekend. Again, I had my head buried in the NHL free agency. For those of you who follow hockey, all of our 32 teams are updated as, as, as much as possible after what was a flurry dozens and dozens of moves. Uh, it's becoming as quiet and as potent as any other free agency we have. It's just not a lot of money involved, so it's not going to draw too much attention. So it's good for me to be able to uh, to draw back into the NBA and see what kind of crazy numbers got thrown out there. I'll give you two more things. These restricted free agents that we talk about and Cam Johnson and Austin Reeves were maybe as high profile as you've had in a long time. They're a part of this moratorium, right? Agents that are going out there. They understand the teams that want them. They're, they're the same teams we all talk about. We're not crazy people here. And guys like Keith Smith come back at the end of the day and say, look, it was just too much probably to take on those offer sheets with cap space. Nobody wants to relinquish cap space all in one place. If you have it, it's for a reason. Either A, you have somebody targeted. And there's been some wink wink behind the scenes that we're, get, we're, we're gonna bring this guy in and he's the perfect fit for our situation right now that's worth cap space other than that you have cap space because you have completely reshuffled the deck either the past year or two years you know prior and you have it for a reason and the point of having it now is to restock the cupboards with quantity not so much one superstar but quantity so to have austin reeves come in on a front-loaded offer sheet that the Lakers, you know, the poison pill situation for the Lakers, you're asking Houston, Indiana, San Antonio, right, OKC, to extinguish basically all of their cap space for Austin Reeves or for Cam Johnson. And if any of those teams were even an inkling closer, maybe in Cam Johnson's case, that was a nice, that that'd be the right move. And I wonder if somebody at least considered that. And that's why Johnson was able to wrangle the, you know, the max extension, the four for 108 out of Brooklyn. But it's just a lot to ask teams who have cap space for a reason to utilize basically all of it on one single player. And that one player isn't the A or even the B option on your team. For the most part, it's going to be the C. It's just a lot. So we forget that part of it in the NBA because... Cap space is so different here than it is in the NFL or some of these other leagues. It's there for a reason. And generally that reason isn't one player. So Austin Reeves' agent look, you know, reads the room, understands what's going to happen. The offer sheets that may be coming in aren't going to be from you know that 97.8 million. Maybe they're coming in at 65 to 70. And at the end of the day, he got every single thing he could from the Lakers, right? The trade kicker, the option. Right, he he was able to wrangle every single thing that a, that a player empowerment movement wants, <laughs> and he gets to stick around a team that he knows he can work on and he can operate in. So, I I give the Lakers credit for it because I think they've built a situation that was conducive to him staying. But we forget the cap space side of it a lot, and I think that's an important thing to get in there. One last thing, I would be remiss if I didn't talk Golden State Warriors here. Uh, Draymond's contract is exactly what I thought it was going to be. We don't talk about term enough in the NBA. It's something we talk about in the NFL quite a bit, right? Two-year contracts versus five-year contracts. The problem in the NFL is a five-year contract is actually a two-year contract because of guarantees. Not the case here. To me, it was never going to be about the per year with Draymond Green coming back. And by the way, it was never going to be about him going somewhere else either. $25 million a year was always the number. Okay? It's basically what he got in his last contract. It is if you take the percent increase for inflation in the NBA and then say, okay, but he's declining and there's really no offensive output there, you get yourself right back to where you started, which is 25 million per year. So the only reach that Golden State was ever going to have to make was term. So many people were saying three for 75, 25 million per year. I've heard, I heard a bunch of people going three for 100. Well, you're not going to do that. Golden State was never going to agree to that. Okay, this is the baseball adage. You're just going to keep tacking on years to keep the tax salary low because that's how in baseball teams have to operate because they they believe that that's, you know, being over the taxes is a sin in major league baseball. And in Golden State's situation, you literally saved 40 to 50 million dollars of tax bill by reducing his salary and 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 bumping out to another year. So, he wanted 100 million dollars. There's no question in my mind. That's what Draymond Green and agent came together and decided, I want another $100 million. I don't really care how I get it, but that's the number. So they went back to Golden State and said, It's got to be 100. If you're willing to do three for 100, we'll take it. If you have to go four for 100, we understand what, you know, what you're doing. And they did. And they did. And that means 22 and change this year, 24, 25, and 27 in year four. It sounds like there's a player option in year four. Sounds like it. So Draymond got a little bit more in terms of uh, bells and whistles. But this one made as most sense as possible to me. And Golden State is essentially going to run it back with Chris Paul now platooning in Jordan Poole's spot. A couple of one-year minimums coming in. Corey Joseph was a recent one. They did lose Dante DiVincenzo. That's a a shooter that kind of covered Clay Thompson's butt quite a bit last year. So from a basketball standpoint, I'm concerned there, but from a, from Draymond standpoint, from the tax bill standpoint, I'll, I'll run you the numbers that currently exist on Spotrac. Um, they're 35 million over the first apron, so their their estimated tax bill right now is just under 150 million. That's in addition to the 200 million of taxable salaries. So as it stands right now, this is a 350 million dollar franchise for 2023. This is the Mets, okay that's what they look like with 10 rostered spots. So, you know, 3 to 5 still to go here to fill out their full roster for the off season. They're out of exceptions. You know, they're uh they're over the super tax. <laughs> okay? They're almost 20 million over the super tax. So, we are talking about a situation here where it's going to be historic money coming out of golden state and i don't think a lot of people think this team can win the championship so it's about keeping the band together they're not going to be a bad team you know this isn't kobe's last two years in la where he was making half the salary cap himself from salary alone and they won 8 games that's not what this is but when you're starting to put the put into the punch and you understand just how much money is about to fly out of this uh, out of this franchise this year you know, And we're in July. I mean, we're not even close to the, to, the, to the May deadline here. It's going to be a situation where we're closing in on 4-4.50 four to 450 in terms of total payout for the Golden State Warriors in 2023-24. How much can they bank it on the, on the court? We'll see. But bringing back Draymond was a no-grainer. I don't know about the Chris Paul stuff. I don't know about the Clay Thompson stuff. But I'm glad the band is still together. Let's put it that way. Okay, a couple of NFL notes and we'll get out of here. It is July 3rd. We are just about a week and a half away from that July 15th franchise tag deadline. So the names that we've been talking about for quite a while now are going to be coming back into fruition, unfortunately. And those names are Jaguars, tight end Evan Engram, Raiders running back Josh Jacobs, Giants running back Saquon Barkley. Everyone else is accounted for. Tony Pollard signed the franchise tag. Lamar Jackson extended out of it, as did Deron Payne in Washington in February. So three franchise tag players. The July 15th deadline is approaching. I don't know. Does one of those players get done? It seems like Barkley still will get done. Um, I'm just not sure on the other two. We haven't heard enough juice. uh, And Jacksonville probably wants to stagger some contracts right now. They've been pretty pot committed. And that old Trevor Lawrence contract is hanging for next year. Speaking of which. spend the next few minutes on joe burrow joe burrow is a caa client generally speaking caa clients keep their mouth shut and caa keeps their mouth shut and caa keep makes sure the team keeps their mouth shut so if you think that we haven't heard anything about joe burrow's contract and that's a problem it's not they're doing their business behind the scenes uh this happens with baseball contracts that i know that i've noted and most quarterback contracts that are caa clients and that's quite a few of them by the way so it's just business it's not there's no issues they're not trying to sell off other companies that would be able to afford. Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, they're doing just fine, I promise you. Uh, what's fun is Burrow's not the only conversation and we've we've talked about this a bit, but I want to bring it back into the light. Right? The T Higgins extension is is also available, you know, alongside Burrow. And that seems a mile away because yes, there's Burrow, next year is going to be Chase, we keep on going from there. They've done a really good job of finding undervalued talent in free agency and paying off the first year. And then there's just so much value, in in my opinion, in four or five Bengals contracts right now. So to me, they've already established themselves as cap and cash friendly for Joe Burrow's contract. But how far will this go? And the reason I say this is I, I don't think enough is being talked about with Joe Mixon. He has had... Now, multiple off field situations. This past one sort of got swept under the rug. I'm not ready to believe that that's actually a thing. I think there's some substance to, at least between the team and Joe Mixon, something's still hanging there. All right. What's not, what doesn't exist is any guarantee on Joe Mixon's contract. None. Okay. He's got a $9.5 million salary. It's really 10 and change when you talk about the per gamers and the workout bonus. They haven't restructured his contract at all. Okay? At all. There was an initial roster bonus guarantee that prorated with the signing bonus. They haven't touched it since. They can free up $10 million right now in post June 1 as a post June 1 release or trade. I don't think he's tradable at that price, you know, 11 million ish. Are we confident that Joe Mixon is on this team? I'm not, I'm not. I'm not confident. And if you're telling me that the Bengals, who, you know, do have cap space right now, a little bit over 15 million, would rather invest their money in T. Higgins and Joe Burrow and front load those contracts a little bit and take a little bit on the chin because they've established themselves with value elsewhere on the roster, and I believe they have. I'd be perfectly fine with that. No, you want to say the cap space that they have should, should go to all of these players and that Joe Mixon should stay? Fine. And the proof is there because they don't have an established running back behind them. They let their backup walk this offseason. Didn't really draft the, any sort of replacement that could come in and be ready right now. But if you're telling me that Joe Mixon's $12.7 million cap hit can be two point seven five with the release in terms of dead cap, And I can take any semblance of that 10 million saved and bring in Delvin Cook. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Because, well, not that Delvin Cook, you know, has a a illustriously clean track record himself. But just the change of pace might work here. It might. It's certainly going to lower the cap hit. And they've been reportedly trying to lower Joe Mixon's cap hit all freaking year since February. He refuses. I'm just telling you, whenever I see that multiple times in an offseason, it generally doesn't end well for the player. (laughs) Okay. Now, sometimes players cave and you end up seeing some sort of pay cut and a restructure to go with it. And then everybody's happy and, and he's rostered for 2023. More times than not, this ends with an outright release and the team takes that cap space and finds it elsewhere. I'm not saying that that's where we're getting to. Although last segment, I'm pretty sure I bold predicted Josh Jacobs coming to this roster. It's possible. It's possible that there's a late summer, mid-July, running back one change for Cincinnati that has to do with football and that has to do with future financials. And then right before training camp, we get a Burrow contract. We get a Higgins contract. They're a 2023 start year so that Jamar Chase's 2024 start year contract is staggered slightly first from a signing bonus standpoint. I think a lot of people in Cincinnati would be completely on board with that. And I just want to get it out there that I don't think there's stability with this Joe Mixon contract at all. And and to me it's not just about we need we need you to take less money. It is take this money, take less money or you're going to be off this roster and we've got options. And we've got options. So You know, there's more names out there than I'm willing to give up right now. But to me, that replacing Mixon at the last second here isn't as daunting a task as many think it is. It's not like bringing in a QB1, handing him a 500-page playbook and saying, get ready for September 1st. It's a little bit less than that. You know, let's just just be honest about how this works. Now, blocking patterns and things like that, that's a lot to ask. But when we're talking about a mid-market team like Cincinnati is, and I went through this a couple years ago in Buffalo here with Josh Allen's contract. You're just going to see a lot of other positions get pushed around every year in order to account for that 45 million plus running back is going to be that position indefinitely. Even if you're an established pro bowl running back, especially if you're one approaching 28 years old. So uh, don't, don't breeze past the Joe Mixon articles that, that say that Cincinnati has continued to try to offer him a pay cut. Don't read that as Joe Mixon has to put his foot down and, and hold. He's going to get released if he doesn't do the right thing here. That's how I read these articles. And it's not because he can't you know, produce on the field anymore. We've seen plenty of good running backs who can produce, sign $1.5 million contracts this offseason. And that's the point. Cincinnati's looking across the league and saying, why the hell are we paying this guy 10 million this year? When that's literally five running backs salaries on every on other teams. Five starting running backs for five franchises equal Joe Mixon's salary this year. It's just the reality of the league. And when you're talking about two hundred million guaranteed for the quarterback and maybe what, 50 million guarantee for T. Higgins? Are you putting him in a Michael Gallup contract? Probably. Chris Godwin type deal? Probably. Because because Chase is going Justin Jefferson, you know we're t- if, if Justin Jefferson is going to break the thirty million seventy five you know guaranteed threshold, well, where do you think Jamar Chase is going to file in? Right there and or over. So we're talking two hundred fifty million of guarantees for Higgins and Burrow in front of us, and if they're going to want to take that most of that on in signing bonus, and I believe they will, this mixing contact contract is in trouble. So. Certainly one of those things we're watching over this vacation period for the NFL, mostly this is about extending players. That's what this time period is. So, I mean, from a player standpoint, it's truly a vacation. And, you know, whenever players get signed at this time of year, you're always hearing about, well, I was in the Bahamas and I got a phone call from my agent and saying, and, you know, we got 90 million guaranteed. Is that good? Yes. We're going to hear that with Nick Bosa, with Justin Herbert. Maybe with CeeDee Lamb. But this borough stuff, the Cincinnati stuff, it's layered. It's layered. There's a lot of miles to feed. And uh, I'm concerned about the $10 million running back in terms of that contract. So something to keep an eye on here from an NFL standpoint for sure. Uh, one more thing here. I mentioned the Buffalo Bills. There's a Von Miller problem. Uh, he, he says he's going to be ready week one. I don't know if they're going to allow him to be ready week one. That's a massive contract that has now you know paid off about eight weeks right now. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, they have had a starting cornerback who had a torn ACL slowly recovered last year, sort of limped back into it. That Buffalo defense, you know, now without Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of it could very well be suspect. And they did sort of nickel and dime some free agents to, to, to certainly to establish the run defense, they brought in Leonard Fo- Leonard Floyd to fill in, I guess, for Von Miller. That was a telling sign for me, but Von Miller's contract is on notice right now. It has to be just like Kyler Murray's contract is on notice right now. Uh, and there's certainly a few more of those in the league that we've talked about at nauseum. Coming here next, MLB trade candidates, our midseason report, the Major League Baseball draft. How does it operate? What does it look like? Uh, the bonus pool structure. Why can't we trade those draft picks? And what does this upcoming draft in about a week look like for 2023? That's the next episode. Cousin Dan joins me and obviously more NBA talk. We might have a Dame Lillard landing spot at that point in time. We may have another massive superstar on the move in the NBA because, well, James Harden needs to be traded at some point in time. And I'm refusing to talk about the 76ers until I see where all the chips land. Because if Harden goes and the return isn't great, is MB just going to look around and say, eh, this works for now? Or is he not? Or is he going to say, get me the H out of here? And is that going to be plan B? Right? Is that going to be somebody's plan B? And that plan B for a team could be the New York Knicks. So, uh, I don't think we're close to done with the NBA, even though today was sort of like the phase one recap. You're gonna to want to get more of this from somebody who's way smarter than I am. Keith Smith's gonna talk about this more all week long. And uh he's at Keith Smith NBA for all of the content, not just the uh, on Twitter, on Blue Sky, wherever you need to follow him, certainly at spot with plenty of articles. Uh Looking forward, looking backwards, and uh, getting us ready for all the craziness of this NBA. I will continue to do NFL contract extension pieces because, like I said, it's that time of year. I've mentioned some names there. And uh, it's time to get back into the Otani conversation. I threw a couple of tweets out last week as to where calculation wise he values, and everybody's got an opinion because there is no right answer. (laughs) So I just think it's worth having a little bit of a roundtable discussion here about this guy who is going to head into the all-star break potentially with 35 home runs. He's got 32 right now. As I speak, he leads the league in basically everything. And uh, he may head into free agency. I think already we can say he's going to head into free agency with the biggest resume that's ever existed in major league baseball. But I mean, we could be talking about from just from a, a batting standpoint, he could have Aaron Judge's batting year last year, and then oh by the way, win 15 games on the mound and strike out 225 players and do all the things we know he's doing. So we thought Aaron Judge's MVP run last year, leading up to free agency, was like the, you know, the motherload of perfect storms. And right in front of our faces, Otani is on pace to have a better year at the plate than Aaron Judge had last year, and oh by the way, be a starting pitcher, a legitimate starting pitcher. It's just phenomenal. So the more we can talk about it, the better, uh, it's going to lead up to what could be one of the biggest, largest, most important contracts in American sports history. And, uh, I will never take a chance to not talk about that. So that's coming down the pipeline here, but we're in that mode, right? We're in that off season or mid season mode for most of these, uh, these big sports. And there's plenty of contract discussions at spot on Twitter. If you have any questions or thoughts, For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trick Podcast.